can't change the world. The only thing you can change is yourself. But in changing yourself positively, you are changing the world. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Anyone Anywhere podcast. So today I have the pleasure to have here Craig Diamond. How are you today, Craig? I am very well. Thank you, Vasco. Thank you for having me on the show. It's, it, I really appreciate it. Also, thank you so much for the opportunity. Let me do a quick intro about Craig for my listeners and viewers. So Craig is a life and mindset coach. He is also a speaker and lover of wisdom. Craig is also a physiotherapist and former seven-figure business owner. Craig is also married and a proud father of six amazing kids. To end up, <laughs> Craig's mission is to help other people to be all they can be throughout personal development. So, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> you are, that's great. Maybe you Thank can you. tell me a little bit more <laughs> about yourself, sure. please. Yeah, sure. Look, I was, um, I was one of six children myself. Um, but raised in a household where my father was um, a heavy drinker, uh, quite um, in some ways uh, unbalanced. <laughs> Dad had a few issues. Um, so we had a, a fairly violent household. It was uh, a difficult household to grow up in. He was uh, a very hard, harsh taskmaster. Um, we experienced a lot of abuse, um, physical abuse and mental abuse and emotional abuse. Um, not just my other siblings and I, but my mother as well. Um, and growing up in that household was uh, very difficult. You know, I, I kind of learnt very early to keep your head down because if you, if you stayed low profile, then you wouldn't get your head knocked off. Uh, you know, it's, if you stick your head above the parapet, you risk it getting shot off. So we learned very early to uh, to avoid that, and uh, if we could, uh, if it was possible. Um, so I grew up in a household that was very was filled with fear. And even though I was raised in probably a middle class Australian situation, and I went to a private school, and you know, I, there were a lot of um, good things about my life. Um, our home life was difficult. Um, and so I recognized as I got older that um, dad's treatment of us wasn't healthy. And I suffered a lot from, a, I guess, a, a very poor self-image as a consequence because he was, he was very quick to tell you who you were uh, and mostly in a negative sense you know you're an idiot you're an imbecile you're you you, you, you are hopeless you know all those sorts of things um, but in much more colorful language which I won't use on your show because I don't want to put people off but um, so dad was a heavy drinker hard living and difficult to live with um, when I was about 14 my mother had 
who was also a physiotherapist. Both of my parents were physios, actually. And she had left that work and joined a multi-level marketing company after being encouraged to do so by some of her friends. And in that company, they did a lot of personal development work. And she got so excited by the possibilities that that information gave her that she wanted my older brother and I, he was 15, I was 14, to go and do this weekend course. And of course, you know, as a 14 and 15 year old, you have no idea what it's all about. <laughs> anyway, we went and did this weekend course and I loved it. It was so positive. It was so upbeat. And it gave me a window into a different life. Here, living in the house, I felt so closed and so oppressed. But with the speakers on this weekend, I saw a different life that was on offer, a much more positive life, uh, a life that had opportunity, had possibility and potential and that it revolved around changing mindset, the way you thought about yourself, and as a consequence, the way you then could think about your life. So that was my first taste. And after that weekend, I, I got excited, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't know how to keep the ball rolling, how to keep the momentum up. So I started reading, and uh, I read The Power of Positive Thinking, um, by Norman Vincent Peale. Um, then I read Think and Grow Rich, you know, the great, the great tome. And I went on to read Dale Carnegie's, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People, all these classics of, of um, personal development literature. But I was reading them at the age of 15, you know, and, and enjoying them. And again, getting more fuel but again, not knowing how to beat the mindset that I had already taken on about myself, how to overcome this poor self-image, my sense of self-worth, which was, you know, I just thought I was nothing. Um, and so I, I struggled on reading more of that sort of literature, um, but still trying to cope with my relationship with my dad, um, with, you know, trying to work out the meaning of life as you are when you're a, you know, middle age, when you're in the, your middle teens, you're trying to sort out life out. And, and then of course, you know, girls come along and you're trying to sort out your, how you, <laughs> your relationship with girls and you know, life seems to be offering all this excitement and this opportunity, but I was coming from this very kind of dark space and this, mm -hmm. this dark space. Um, and then I, I had a kind of, I guess, a, a, a spiritual reawakening um, when I was about 17 and I had a, a, a spiritual experience and I won't go into that, but I, it convinced me, one, of the existence of God, that, that there was a God, that God was real and that uh, he loved me, which was important. <laughs> uh, and that kind of revolutionized my thinking in some part about myself, but I was still dealing with the old programming. I was still dealing with the old me, um, even though I had this, um, this reawakening. 
And then when I was 21, I was actually at university and I wasn't doing that well in my course. I enrolled in physiotherapy and I was struggling along. And as I tell people, I, I was a, I was a 50% student. You know, sometimes I get, sometimes I get 49%, sometimes I get 51%, you know, and I, I was hanging around that 50% mark and uh, either just falling under or just falling over. And, you know, it was so stressful. And then our church group did a course with a guy called Lewis E. Tice, an American guy who ran a, a, uh, had a company called the Pacific Institute. And look, I'm not even sure if they're still around. They may well be. Um, Lewis himself died a couple of years ago. But I, 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 he remains one of my greatest mentors. I did this course and it was called um, Investment in Excellence. And it, it, had, it told me or reminded me about all the stuff that I'd done in my, my pre-personal uh, development courses and, and books. But he did it in such a way that it kind of put it all together for me. And then he went on to describe some practical steps for changing this neural programming. And that was the first time that I kind of picked up that there were things that I could do that changed the way I thought about myself, changed the old mindset, changed the old programming and give me a programming that was going to take me forward to actually achieve the goals and, the, and go in the direction that I wanted to go. And I, over the next um, decade, I actually did lose to course about three times because I loved it so much. And each time I got something new out of it. You know, it's like, it's like when you read a book sometimes or you do a course, you know, when you go back and you do it again, you hear it for it differently, you hear different things and you, you're, you're now you're prepared for, you've done the work. So now you're ready for the next mm -hmm. part of the journey, the, ne the next leap. Well, Lou Tice did that for me. And that's where I learned about the, the process of affirmations, of visualizations, of what um, a mindset could be. That it wasn't just it wasn't just a set mind that you could actually change your mind. And then, I, of course, I was doing physiotherapy and I was learning about the body, and hmm. particularly I I did neurology. Now, the power of this course was that I did the course at the end of my third year of physiotherapy. Now I've got, to, I've got to go back a little bit and tell you that I failed, I failed second year physio. I failed second year, second semester. And the unit that I failed was neurology, which was all about brain science. Because physios have to do a lot with people who are brain injured. So this was a pretty important part of physiotherapy. And, uh, and I, I didn't pass it, so I had to repeat that unit. But you couldn't repeat it the next semester, you had to wait till the unit came around again, which was in six months time. So, you know, I, I missed a year hmm. and I, I did that second semester again. And strange, strangely, what I had found difficult with this neurology unit, I actually found quite easy the second time around and I completed it well. Anyway, at the end of third year, I got to do the first Lou Tice course. 
and I was able after that course to put some of the practical steps that he had outlined into place in my life. My fourth year, I became, I, I was scoring between 80 and up, between 80 and 90% in most of my units that I was doing that year. It, it had kicked my average performance up from my 50% mm -hmm. up to around an average of about 80. It completely convinced me of the power of affirmations, visualization, using positive emotion, all those sorts of things to change brain wiring in a way I thought about myself. And so I, I graduated uh, very well at, at the end of uh, my course. And I, that allowed me to score a very good job at one of the teaching hospitals here in Perth that only took on a, a, a handful of people. And I happened to be one of them. So, um, uh, that that gave me the kickstart that I needed, but it also fueled my desire to con continue learning about the brain, about personal development, about how we can develop the brain, how how our own development, our own lives, really uh, can be the fruit of the way we think about ourselves, and we're not stuck with that old programming. That we can create new programming the programming we want to achieve the goals we are looking to achieve. So that, that's kind of my, that was my early life in a nutshell. And I've continued that on. I, I continued on at the um, hospital for about five years. I ended up being the um, principal physio of the um, outpatient department. So I was third in charge in the physio department then. And it was at that stage that uh, I made the leap into private practice. And so I, I left the hospital system and went into a practice system. And I took over a practice that was um, my father's practice, which had been, was pretty run down at that stage. My father, unfortunately, was diagnosed with uh, liver cancer. Um, he and I, by the way, had uh, got into a much better space. My my father had uh, mellowed a bit as he got older and I came to a place of being able to forgive him for his past misdemeanors. Um, we, we actually forged a quite a strong bond towards the end of his life, but I took over his rundown practice and it was just him hmm. and a secretary. Um, and we ended up, I ended up expanding the practice. We had about 19 employees, when I ended up selling the practice, and that's uh, and we were regularly churning over uh, seven-figure income, which is unusual for a physio practice here in Australia. We were actually doing very well, so I sold that practice to a corporate group, and that's what allowed me to then invest more time and energy into my passion, <laughs> my, which had been my hobby up to that point, which is the personal development stuff. And so I've been doing my own thing online uh, and uh, posting a lot, as you've probably discovered me on Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, to some extent on Facebook, but more Instagram has been more my, my thing. And, also uh, my on YouTube. YouTube. Sorry? Also on YouTube. Yes, on YouTube. Yeah, I've got a, a YouTube uh, channel. Um, I probably haven't, uh, I haven't done as much posting on the YouTube channel as I should, but uh, mostly I'm on Instagram. Instagram. Uh, and then I have, I have courses online 
um, on Teachable that um, I direct people to from my uh, from my Instagram. So that's kind of where we're at now. Man. That's that's yeah. So I'm um, I have been over the last couple of years um, doing more running more events. We've been running workshops in the personal development space and doing more um, te- more teaching, more speaking. Um, but of course, COVID put a big <laughs> big hole in that. We had a we had a two day event actually scheduled for last April, but that that uh, got canned. Um, and uh, in the at the beginning of the whole COVID thing, so we're looking to relaunch all our uh, our workshops and events in the new year. So that's kind of I brought you up to date. That's where we're at. Man, I love and, it. Uh, I love it. The, all, all the the all your history. It's quite amazed, and it explains. <laughs> Uh, one of my questions, because you said it and I love it. Um, you are a person that has a personal development uh, tragedy, tragedy. And I, I, I was asking myself, what Craig means with that? But I understood since a young age and you, you were um, exposed to pers- uh, personal development. Um, mm. Some of... I have one question because I think it happens also a lot now. Sometimes we have a lot of the knowledge and now it's much easier than it was before. But mm. uh, like you before, you do, we don't know how to apply. How do you think that we can start changing that? Yes, look, I, I think it's, and it's one of the things that I discovered along the way, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of great motivational speakers out there and they give you pearls of wisdom. And if you're like me, you know, you walk out of that seminar or you walk out of that auditorium being inspired, but then not quite, not quite knowing what to do with it, with the information that you've got. And this is where I think my first lessons in this were in the Lou Tice course. And I realized actually looking back, that a lot of the um, personal development gurus that I had read and followed actually speak about it, but he put it in a structured way that made it, I think, much a lot easier to kind of understand and then apply in your life. Now, really, it all comes down to the fact that we have a conscious mind and a subconscious mind. And our subconscious mind is the bulk of our mind. Well, I, I heard a, um, a psychologist describe it. it. It has been described as a bit like an iceberg. You know, what we, our conscious mind is that little bit of iceberg sitting above the water, but our subconscious is the major part of the iceberg sitting below the water. But this psychologist said it even more um, strongly and more poignantly. She said, you know, your conscious mind is like a film of oil sitting on top of the ocean (laughs) the ocean is the subconscious the film of oil is the conscious mind and i think that's very true our subconscious is incredibly deep and incredibly powerful it gets built over our lifetime but more particularly in that first six to ten years of life and our subconscious mind is designed to run on habit it's designed to run automatically. So a lot of the beliefs that we take on about ourselves, we don't have to think about anymore. 
So, you know, if you're, say you, um, one day you're a two-year-old, you're drawing a drawing and your four-year-old or five-year-old brother or sister comes along and says, oh, that's a terrible drawing. You're not even colouring, you know, in the lines. And as a two-year-old, this five-year-old is a person of authority and they're telling you about yourself and you have nothing to, to weigh that against. So you take that on as a truth mm -hmm. about yourself. Oh, I can't draw. I'm a terrible artist. Now you're not saying that to yourself, but you are accepting what was said to you and it now becomes your truth. Now the job of the subconscious is to take that truth, that belief about yourself and make it an automatic thing so that you don't have to think about it anymore. Our brain is all about energy. It wants to save energy. So once it's got a belief established, it puts the, it files the belief away for you. So you don't have to think about it or worry about it anymore. But now for the rest of your life, possibly, you go into life thinking, oh, I'm a terrible artist and I can't draw. All because of some five-year-old's comment when you were two. But it's, that's the belief. That's the wiring. That's what your brain has decided. That's you. Okay, that's you. All right. We'll keep that on file for you. So the next time the teacher in grade three asks you, oh, come up here, Greg, and paint this drawing of a, oh, no, I'm not going there because I know that I'm a terrible artist. <laughs> and so all you do is you reinforce that old belief. So that subconscious gets built and built and built with beliefs and some, maybe they're true, maybe they're not. Most of them are probably erroneous because they're beliefs that you have formed, not because you formed them, but some of them formed them for you. A parent, a sibling, a teacher, someone who had authority and so that subconscious is making sense of your environment at a time when you can't put a filter over that now if you've got a strong sense of self say you're 17 or 18 mm. and someone says to you oh you're a terrible drawer and you go huh. get nicked <laughs> i'm a great drawer I've got 17 years where, you know, I was affirmed for my drawing or I did great drawing and I did art at school and I did, I've, the teacher picked my painting and it's now hanging up in the school uh, building, you know, because I love my art so much. So I've got this established self image about my art, which is strong. So now I can filter your comment like, and I can go, that's not like me. I know who I am. I'm a great artist. But we, only, we only gain the power to filter that information as a young adult and going on into adulthood. But you've got all this stuff in your subconscious that you believe is you that was formed when you had no filter. And so you just accepted truth, in inverted commas, that was said to you that may be completely erroneous. And it might be, 
you know, you, I can't dance, I can't run, um, I can't spell, I can't do maths, I can't, you know, whatever it might be, all because someone gave you input into your life at a, at a formative time that has now become your truth. You can change that truth. And sometimes people have these truths that they hang on to that were formed when they were five years old and they're still believing it at 55 years old and it's colored their whole life negatively. Now, some of those beliefs that you took on, maybe they were great. Maybe they were positive beliefs and they've probably colored your life from then on as well. But there are things that hold us back that prevent us having the life that we want, the life that we choose. They prevent us from getting to the goals we set. Why? Because they are our belief. And the one thing the subconscious is intent on doing is keeping you, you. And so if you break the mold and you do something outside of your self-image, your self-concept, your subconscious will work very quickly and very powerfully to bring you back to your self-concept. So say you... Look, the, the money is a classic example. You get the, the person who's been poor all their life. They're, in Australia, we call them a battler. You know, they're a battler. They're a poor person. They've had it tough. They're, they're a battler in life. They're battling life. But you win the lottery. All of a sudden, you win $10 million. Life is for you has changed, you would think. But where is that person 24 months later? The, the research shows that when a poor person wins lottery, within about two years, something like 95% of them have lost the money. Mm. Why? Because that's not your picture of yourself. And even though you may want the money, you desire the money, you think having the money is a great thing for you in your life, your subconscious knows that's not you. You're a battler. You're a poor person. And it will work unconsciously to bring you back to that reality. So that person will tell you, I don't know what happened to the money. And you know, they gave it away to relatives. They made poor investments. They... <laughs> <laughs> whatever it was, they couldn't even they couldn't even tell you how they how they lost it but it, it's gone and you know what they'll say to you at the end of that 24 months oh you know what i'm better without it that money that money wrecked my life i'm happier without it no they're happier because their self image has now lined up with their subconscious image. The two are matching. Their outer picture is matching their inner picture. They're now 
they're now matching and now they feel complete. But it's only because they had this poor, that poverty um, image of themselves. Then the, the, the reverse is true. You get the wealthy guy who goes bankrupt because you know, the markets crash or the, you know, he makes a, a wrong choice, whatever it might be, loses all his money. Where's he two years later? He's built his fortune back up again. Why? Because the, his image of himself, I'm a wealthy man. So it doesn't matter what his external world shows, his belief, internal belief is I'm a wealthy man. So he changes his environment to match the internal belief. And that's exactly what the poor guy does. He changed his external environment to match his inner belief. Mm. And we do that. We all do that all the time. You know, if you, if you think you're unlovable and you marry the love of your life, where do you think your relationship's going to be in two years' time? It'll be struggling. If you believe you're unlovable, then how can you exist in a loving relationship? Mm -hmm. You will sabotage that relationship until your external picture matches your internal belief. And you'll destroy that relationship and you won't be, even be able to say why or you'll, it'll, you'll blame her or him or <laughs> because you cannot live a life contrary to your inner picture your outer world has to match your inner world so when it comes to changing your outer world the first thing you have to do is change your inner world and they're the techniques that i learned when i did the lutice course all those years ago and that's what i preach and teach now let me ask you now. I think the advice, first of all, it's great. And with the question that comes, uh, let's do your example. You came from uh, abusive relation with your father. How do you can change that type of beliefs that it put it in your mind in an early age? Yeah. And I think this... My experience is this is the most difficult thing to change is your sense of worthiness. If you don't feel you are worth a good life, if you don't think you're worth a loving relationship, if you don't think you are worth prosperity, if you don't think you're worth a good grade, if you don't think you're worth a full um, and joyful life, then you, you will not be able to either construct it or if you even construct it, you won't be able to sustain it. Somewhere we have to find a sense of worth and significance. And that's a lot of what I kind of get around to people to preach and teach 
Now, I will say for me, a cornerstone of that, and this may not suit all your listeners, but I found that in my faith, in the belief that there is a loving or powerful God, and that, and that he that I that was I was made in his like image gave me some some cornerstone of belief that I was created um, for a reason. That I'm here for a reason, and that you know I am I I am the pearl of great price. So that that's the spiritual side of it, mm. and, but that may not they, that may not um, resonate with with all your listeners, and I'm I understand that. But we have to find in there a sense of the significance of our existence. Now I will go back to the fact that everything is even if you take away. God or the spiritual life. The universe began with a bang, apparently, and it has been evolving ever since. We are all here because of the extraordinary gift of life. And whether that was a created thing or it happened by accident, even if it happened by accident, it's a bloody miracle that we're all here. <laughs> you know, when you, when you think about it, you know, I forget how many, you know, millions of little sperms are swimming down that, <laughs> that track and meet that, that ovum. You know, there's, I think, you know, the ladies have about 500,000 ovums if they're lucky. And, and uh, we have all the, us guys put these little millions of sperms in there. And there's a race. There's a race all those millions of sperms to get to that egg that happens to be floating down that fallopian tube. And one of them gets there first. And he, for a start, we're all winners. We all won that first race. (laughs) We are all the, we all the result of that combination of that little sperm and that little egg. And as a result, we won that first race. We're here. Uh, and then even just to get born, you know, to survive everything that can go wrong in the process of getting born. And then if you go back to, um, you know, for you to exist, you know, your mother and father had to come together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had to find themselves. What were the odds of, of them actually meeting and finding each other? Uh, okay, let's take it a bit further. What about, what about their parents? They had to meet and come together. And, and what about their parents? And so it goes back, you know, and I, I read this thing where it was calculated that for us to exist, it, if, you, if you took um, three, was it three? Oh, I'm gonna get this wrong, but you'll get the idea. The, I think it's something like if 10 million people had a 3 million sided dice, they would have to all throw it and all land on the same number 
and that's the odds of us actually existing if you took into account all the probabilities that came together for us to even exist. So we're all bloody miracles. <laughs> the fact that we're here at all is astounding. <laughs> so, you know, for, you know, we just have to just dwell on that, just ruminate on that for a while. You know, I'm a bloody miracle just being here. I am significant just because I'm here. Uh, and we all have an impact. You know, I hear people saying, you know, chaos theory, you know, the chaos theories, you know, about the, you know, if a butterfly's wings flutter in the Amazon somewhere, you know, the results of that are a, a cyclone over on the other side of the planet. What chaos theory tells us is that everything matters. Everything we do sends out a ripple. Every step we take on this planet Earth has an effect, a vibration. We expend energy. We change the, the, the image on the stand that we impact. Everything we do has a ripple effect. You know, if you throw a stone in the water and the ripples go out, those ripples hit the edge of the lake or the pond and that energy is transferred into the, the stones and the the sand that it impacts like nothing no what is it um no energy einstein's thing you know energy is neither created or destroyed it just changes form everything we do the fact that we're speaking we're expending energy energy's going out in into the cosmos almost you know we have an impact not just here on this earth you know, we're aware of some of our impact because of the effects that we have on our ecology and on the climate and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, there is impact at, a, at an energy level everywhere. We are surrounded by energy. We are changing energy. We are, we are expressing energy. So we are significant. Every single one of us. Whatever we do, we are having an effect. And I think it's taking on that mindset that each of us is significant. We're here for a reason. We are worthwhile. We are here to do something, to be something and to create something. We have, you know, every human being, we are creative. We, we want to do something, we want to be something, we want to make something. We, that's just us. That's just who we are. And to give ourselves then that belief and then every opportunity to express who we are. I'm much more into the, into the mindset of it's about uncovering everything we can be. We have so much potential. And this life, we're here in this life with the opportunity to uncover and to explore that potential. So don't let old self images hold us back. And if you, it's about learning self-love, that we are worthy 
of loving ourselves and giving ourselves permission to be all we can be. We don't have to rely on the love that maybe some of us were denied by our upbringing or by our environment. Um, Brian Tracy, um, again, another guru in the personal development space, um, and Brian's, you know, well into his 80s now, but still going and still doing this work. Um, and one of my all-time favourites, one of my mentors. And he basically says, one of his comments was, you know, all, all the world's problems come down to love denied. Did I get that right? Something like that. But basically, people not experiencing love and therefore not feeling worthy. I do think sometimes that can be a hard hole to fill, but it's not impossible. Mm. And that it can be gained, I think, from a spiritual sense, but it can also be gained from a self sense. We can give it to ourselves. We can give ourselves permission to be loved and lovable. Even an older self, you know, I, I, I did this exercise with a psychologist once where he said, um, can you go back to that five-year-old self? Because I was describing this you know, experience where, um, which was pretty hard, it was difficult, it was painful as a five-year-old. And he said, can you be there as your older self and talking and um, loving your younger self now? And that was a great breakthrough for me. I, I could do that. I could go back as my older self and see that young, my five-year-old self and be there for me and speak I imagine myself holding my five-year-old shoulders, you know, and saying to myself, it's okay. You're going to be okay. You're doing all right. You're surviving. You can do this. You'll get through this. You know, you're, you are a worthy, worthwhile human being, you know, holding my little face in my, in my hands. So go back even as your older self and comfort and love your younger self. I know that sounds like a, um, it's a bit woo-woo, but it's a great kind of meditation to do and to love on your younger self. And it, 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 there's a healing in that. And look, I am a great advocate of going speaking to, you know, psychologists, counsellors, um, you know, perhaps people in your church or spiritual mentors that you might have, because sometimes that needs that 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 little hole, that lack of love that happened back there. It may need a bit of healing, and I, I, healing does come. I, I've seen it, and it, it can be very powerful. But sometimes you need someone to guide you through that. Mm. So. Um, so if you can't do it with the psychological tools, 
that we use in the personal development space, it can certainly happen with the mentoring and the guidance of people skilled in, in that sort of um, healing. Does that make sense? Man, completely. Did I answer, and you, did I answer to... your question? No, no, and and with a lot, I, I will I will do like a quick conclusion, and after you you will tell me if I'm right or not. I took first of all like see yourself as is a miracle, like just to be alive. I think it's Absolutely. amazing. Second one, as observer of the the little child or the trauma that you had in life. And the third one, I will say, if you need a mentor, someone that knows more than you, can be some professional or somebody that already had passed for the same than you, you know? Absolutely. I'm, I'm big on mentors. People, as you say, people who've gone before you, hmm. um, people who can lead the way, people who've um, got experience in that area. And, you know, there's some, there's some, great, uh, there's some great people out there. And uh, yeah, definitely seek seek mentorship. I think it's quite important. It comes also with with some question. Uh, you are a lot into spiritual. Tell me, you were talking before when you were doing uh, when you were talking about your intro, um, which it was your experial, uh, spiritual experience that you had. I think it was at twenty one or something like that. When it, it was, was actually when I was, when I was 17. 17, okay. okay. you want to go there? <laughs> of course, because uh, I think it's something important. Okay, sure. Um, look, when I was, I was 17 and I had, um, I'd been raised Catholic and uh, Roman Catholic and I'd kind of left the church really as a 13, 14 year old, you know, I'd done the big questioning thing, you know, what is this all about? And, you know, questioning whether God really existed. And um, I was on my, my atheist or, or agnostic bent, really, probably more than atheist. Um, didn't know, didn't care, and, uh, you know, didn't, didn't really want it to, you know, interfere in my life. Um, and I, one night, my father had been drinking heavily and, he got into a fight with my mother, which wasn't uncommon. Um, and we kids used to kind of, we knew when to retreat, you know, when to hide. And you could tell that it was escalating, you know, things were getting worse in the fight. And, um, and my brother and I had adjoining rooms and we were both kind of tense about what was happening. And then we kind of felt, heard my father hit my mother and we knew we had to intervene at that stage. So we both kind of ran out and into the kitchen and my mother was on the ground and my dad was kind of over her and we got between him and her and it was, it was all, I mean, there was lots of shouting and going on and we were pushing him back and, and um, protecting her and, and it was all very messy. <laughs> anyway, when, when he stormed off and, and uh, we looked after our mother for a while, then I went back to my room and I'd, I was just, I'd had enough. I, I, was, I was over it. You know, I, was, um, 
I was so angry at him and, and I was, and I was just desperate for a life where, you know, we didn't have this tension all the time. And I was crying as a young man and I, and then I kind of turned to God, you know, I said, okay, God, you know, if you're real, then you better make yourself known to me right now, because as far as I'm concerned, if you're not real, then I'm going to throw, go find a bridge and throw myself off. I was, it was probably the lowest point of my life. And I was, I was crying and I was angry and I was shaking my fists. And then I, I, I felt someone walk into the room and I thought it was one of my brothers or sisters. And, and I was going to turn around and tell them to get out of my room because, you know, I was, I was feeling emotionally so vulnerable and I turned around and there was no one there. And, and I was surprised because I felt like someone had walked in. Anyway, I went back to my weeping and wailing and, and again, I felt like someone walked into the room and I turned around again, ready to tell them to get out. And there was no one there. And then I started, I had this really kind of weird feeling. And then it was like, I describe it to people, it was like, rather than seeing light, it was like I felt light. And the room kind of changed. It's going to sound weird, but there was kind of light in the room. And I felt a presence in the room. That I've had that I've had that experience a couple of times since, but it was like I felt the strong presence in the room, but it was calming. I felt totally calm. I felt peaceful. My tears dried up, and I was just I was just totally immersed in this presence. And I forgot all about my trials and tribulations. <laughs> I was just totally engrossed in this being in this presence. And then it was stayed like that for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then the room kind of returned to normal. I felt totally calm, totally centered. My anger had gone. I was peaceful. And I suddenly realized I'd cried out this desperate prayer you know, God, make yourself known to me. And it had been answered in that instant. And I walked out of that room scratching my head going, what does this all mean? <laughs> and but it didn't stop there. I, um, the next morning I woke up and I was still thinking about this experience and I was thinking, you know, with all my reading that I'd done on psychology and personal development, I was thinking, no, I must have, I must have psychologically, I must have constructed that. No, it must have been, it must have been what I wanted to happen. So I kind of made it happen through my psychology. Mm -hmm. This is what, this is what I'm thinking. And I sat down at the breakfast table and my mother, who was a very, you know, good Catholic and, and uh, she used to get this little magazine, spiritual magazine called The Messenger. And it was lying on the kitchen table and I was eating my breakfast and 
and I was flicking through this little magazine and I came to the story and I wish I could tell you who it was. All I know, it was a, a French archbishop and it was his story of his conversion. And he had been, again, growing up in a family situation, which was, oh, he was, his family were originally um, refugees from Russia after the Russian Revolution. They had settled in France and he had, he was an un, angry young man, angry at the world and the fact that his family had, had the, had to flee Russia and blah, blah, blah. And he, he was at the Sorbonne University as this angry university student. And he had, he, um, he had joined the anarchy movement. He was considered himself an anarchist. He turned his back on religion and he was just this angry young man, angry at the world, angry at everyone. And one day he, he was so angry at everyone in the world and his, he, he was sitting in the university library at the Sorbonne and he decided that he was going to do himself in. He was going to get a gun and he was going to blow his brains out. And he happened to look up and in the shelves, the bookshelves opposite the desk that he was sitting at, it was a Bible. And he got this Bible. He said, okay, this is what, why I got interested. He said these words. He said, okay, God, he said, I'll give you one more chance, one last chance. He said, make yourself known to me. Otherwise, this is it. I'm going to do myself in. So he reaches up and he grabs this Bible and he gets it down and he starts leafing through it, not really being you know, familiar with it. But he, anyway, he starts reading, I think, somewhere in the New Testament. And he looks up because... He has the sense that someone sat at the table opposite him, but there's no one there. So he looks around, he goes back to his reading. Again, he has the sense that someone has sat down at the table. So he looks up again, there's no one there. And then he went on to describe exactly the experience that I had had the night before in my bedroom. And he had it sitting at this desk in the Sorbonne. It had such an impact on him that he became a pre Catholic priest and eventually became this Catholic archbishop. And so he was, he was just describing this experience and how it changed his life. So I'm sitting there, okay, in the morning I'd got up thinking, oh no, it was, all, I, it was all a mental construct, you know, it was all just my psychology. I just made this up. And then, do 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 do, and the hairs were standing up on the back of my neck as I'm reading this story, which confirmed exactly the experience that I'd had the night before. Now I had heard that experience from a number of people over the years. People who get into a desperate situation in terms of how they're looking at life. And they make this cry out to a God to make himself known. And he reveals himself. Now, why doesn't he do it to everybody in all the same way? I have no idea. 
but I've seen it replicated so many times now. I just know that there's something, something happens in our desperation mm. when we're really, when we're really calling out for an anchor, a lifeline, a life jacket that it often gets thrown. Uh, and that was my, that's just my experience. And that's all I can say is it was my experience and it turned me around um, to acknowledge the spiritual side of myself. But, you know, I have met people on the personal development journey who don't have that experience, but have led very powerful, blessed and successful lives without having that necessarily mm. that experience. So is it necessary? Not necessary, but I do think, though, that there is some sense of the transcendent is important. Mm. Some sense of something beyond yourself, even if it's just the a sense of, of our combined humanity, some essence of, of our our, our common existence as being that thing that's outside our, ourselves, or it's just a sense of the universe and how amazing and majestic it is and that of the energy that holds that together with it, whether you personalize that or not, or give it a name that there is, I think when you have that sense that of something transcendent, it can be very helpful in leveraging that sense mm. to empower you to grow into everything that you can be. I'm always fascinated, you know, with the 12 step program um, for Alcoholics Anonymous and, you know, the drug addict programs um, uh, and how in the 12 step program, one of the important steps that they say the program won't work if you don't acknowledge something beyond yourself. So whatever that might be for you, and that there is, if you can acknowledge that there's something bigger than you, it empowers change. And that's what the 12 step program uses as an, as an important part of its, um, program to you know turn around alcoholics and drug users and so on and they go so far as to if you cannot acknowledge something bigger than you whatever you imagine that to be the program won't work that's how important they think it is so i think there is an element to our humanity my question is, well, why is it there in the first place? But there is something that when we acknowledge something bigger than ourselves, and maybe it's just the, it's the common human experience, as I was saying, that unified um, field of energy, then if you can acknowledge that, then that will assist you in laying aside the old self that you want to leave behind and take on the new self 
that you want to explore. So I hope that wasn't too long-winded. No, 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 no. I, man, I, I'm taking a lot, a lot, a lot. And, and I think it's very practical for me. It's like, it's like we are, like you said it, in, in my words, we'll say that we are all connected, you know. Mm. We as a, a humankind, as a planet, because it's not just the humans that are living in this planet, uh, we are all exactly. connected. Exactly. And yeah and it's it's how, how do you think like that that experience change you as a person like i think it's it goes back to that um i i heard oprah winfrey say once that she said you have to keep your cup full you cannot give what you do not have. And I, um, I heard Wayne, Dr. Wayne Dyer say a very similar thing. You know that you, you cannot, I can give you a banana, but I've got to go get some bananas to give you the banana. And if we don't have a sense of our own worth, value and significance our own sense of love for ourselves it's very hard to give love to someone else if we don't love ourselves and, and Oprah Winfrey was saying the same thing she said I have learnt that if I keep my cup full even to keep pouring in then the overflow I can give away the overflow. But if I keep dipping into the cup and giving that away, eventually I have nothing to give and I'm just an empty cup. So what that experience did for me was I realized my worth, that I am here for a reason that there is something out there that acknowledged bigger than me that acknowledged my existence that i have significance and worth just because i am now i think we can fuel that because when we when we do achieve things when we progress in our life when we set a goal and we we reach that goal when we set ourselves work to do and we we do that work then we feed that sense of self we keep our cup full so that's what it did for me was it it filled my cup and that allowed me to give to others and that's what i'm you know as i've said what i explored in my both my life as a physiotherapist because in your life as a physio, you know, I was at my height, I was treating about 40 people a day. So, you know, I'm treating, you're dealing with a lot of people and you're, you're giving constantly because of their, their, and they're in physical pain. They're in, they're in difficulty and you're trying to, you're trying to heal, cure, help their pain and their difficulty. Um, I've just transferred my job now. Well, I'm still working part-time as a physiotherapist, but 
now my because um, I I do love that, but uh, yeah. now I'm still trying to help heal uh, people, but it's got to be out of what I've what I've got inside. It's got to be out of I've got to keep your experience. Mm. And so you know, if I'm going to give love and healing, if I'm going to give um, if I'm going to give possibility and potential and and encouragement and inspiration to people, I've got to keep my own encouragement, inspiration, and and uh, and cup full. And you know, I do that all the time. I do that on a daily basis, watching, reading. And that's what it did for me. It gave, it filled my cup, and allowed me to continue and keep giving. I think it's a great advice. And uh, what is, in your opinion, uh, the best ways uh, to fill the cup? One, I think you have to um, I think to practice mindfulness and you know if, if, you're, if your people, if your listeners are, you know, I say with the work of um, uh, uh, you know the uh, um, the practice of mindfulness those, mm. that his books um, Eckhart Tolle uh, he talks about being present in the moment you know we we human beings are interesting we it would seem unlike any other animal we can live in our past and we can project into the future Now we can drag the negative things of our past up and we can, we can, we can reconstruct them. We can live in them. We can, we can have a horrible experience from our past and in a heartbeat, we can, re, we can reimagine that. And we're back there. We're back being bullied at school or we're back being beaten by our father or we're, we're back in a horrible relationship that went awry, you know, in our imagination, we're, we can be back there like that. And we find ourselves, oh, God, we're living all those emotions again. Or we can worry about our future. Oh, you know, what's going to happen with this virus? You know, will it get me? Will it get the family? Will it, you know, will we all be poor next year? Will we, and we, it hasn't even happened yet. We're already making a catastrophe of it. It's already a disaster because we've made it in our imaginations. So we human beings have this ability to drag up the negative past and, and then project negativity into our future. And as a result, rather than being present in the moment, we're living out of the past that's gone. Or we're living in the future that hasn't even come yet. And we're creating hell on earth in the moment because of what's been and what hasn't even come yet. We're bizarre. <laughs> But when you're mindful, when you're living in the moment, you think, you know what? I'm sitting in this chair. I'm having a great conversation with you. I'm warm. I'm comfortable. You know, the electricity's on. The lights are working. <laughs> I just had a lovely cup of coffee, you know. Um, 
there's I've got water on tap, you know. I'm, I, in this moment, I have no worry. I have I have no fear. I am present in the moment. So that's one thing: mindfulness, being grateful, is a really important one. Gratefulness is, and, and all the psychology um, now you know that's come out about great the power of being grateful, of being thankful. Why? Because it helps you be in the moment. Because when you start when you start being thankful for oh. Thank you for electricity. Thank you for the sunshine that we had today. Thank you for the patients that I treated and the blessing that they were to me. Thank you for the income that came in. Thank you for the blessing of being able to, to pay for things and give my um, abundance back out to the community and the services that I was given today. Now, thank you for my beautiful wife and my great kids. Thank, you know, there are so many things to be grateful. When you start listing them out, it's amazing the peace and the tranquility that comes on one's spirit. And you start turning off that desire to leap into a fearful future, but to be present now in the gratefulness. So I think mindfulness, gratefulness, and acknowledge progress. Acknowledge where you've come from, what you've been through, and the milestones that, um, of your life. I think we are way too quick to go through the milestones, the things that we achieve. Enjoy the things that you've done. You know, at the end of the day, you know, ticking off your to-do list, you know, the, the three to five things that you hope to accomplish that day and acknowledge, yeah, I did that. Yeah, that was a great thing to do. You know, acknowledge, acknowledge progress. Um, one of the things I've got on my website and uh, it's, it's, I speak about it often, Earl Nightingale, who was on that first weekend, personal development weekend I did when I was 14 years old, was the, uh, it ended with um, listening. It was on a, in those days, it was on a, a vinyl LP. There you go. <laughs> and it was, it was the, the um, it was Earl Nightingale and his famous speech, um, the strangest secret. Um, it's a classic. Uh, you can you can find it on YouTube. It's there's lots of copies of it, and you can have a listen to it free of charge. It's, it's freely available. And the quote, um, I should get this right. Hang on. Problem. I have it. I have it written up Beautiful. just to remind me. We become what we think about. Bill Nightingale. Uh, and below that, I've got the Buddha who said, the mind is everything um, what you think you become. But that's the quote I heard. We become, yeah, we become what we think about. And that was, that was the first mind-transforming thing for me. We become what we think about. <laughs> you know, is that a reality? 
and that was the question I asked myself then, and I've discovered it's the truth. And all our brain science, our neurology, our neuroscience, our psychology is telling us that now. We become what we think about. And that's how we program our brain. And our brain never stops in terms of its ability to grow and to change and to become more. So we have that now, that power and potential. We become what we think about. So Earl Nightingale was, was instrumental for me. But this, this, I think, happiness really becomes... Happiness centres around, or our sense of fulfilment centres around this mindfulness, being in the moment, being able to be in the moment and enjoy the moment. Gratefulness, being able to see and be grateful and thankful for the things that we have. And then progress, celebrating our journey. Oh, yes. And the other thing that the reason I said all that was Earl Nightingale had another thing. He's got his definition of success, which, which I've, I've got as my thing on my website. Um, success is the progressive realisation of a worthy ideal or goal. And he deliberately puts in the progressive realization why because it's not in the reaching the goal that transforms us it's the journey to the goal it's who we become on the journey and it's a bit like life really you know one day we're all going to be on our deathbed but it's going to be about the journey who, who have we become when we're, when, you know, our days will be no more? What has the journey done for us? And we've got to celebrate that journey, celebrate the progress, celebrate the, the wins along the way. That, that would be my take on it. And I, I really, really love it. And, like really a lot i don't know what to say really but and i have some questions also as sure. normal uh where you put affirmation and visualization on that so we start with mindfulness gr uh, be grateful and let's say celebrate the little wins that we have our daily wins where you put affirmation and visualization they are key to my life. They are, they are the, the fundamental psychological um, tools that I discovered when I did my Lou Tice thing and they still form the backbone of my life. So every morning, every night, religiously, I have a list of statements. You know, you might call them affirmations. I call them affirmations. I've heard um, people, some people call them incantations. Some people like spells, you know. Um, uh, some people, in fact, I've got a list here. 
some people they call them all sorts of interesting things declarations i've heard people call them declarations i think it's just everyone's kind of getting their own spin on it you know um people call them aspirations um yeah incantations affirmations is another one declarations so there's there's lots of ways what they are basically are they are statements generally they should be first person present tense positive statements of the person you wish to be or become say and so what's an, a good example i should look it up and of course i've got them on my phone as well modern technology not only you have to use it <laughs> you do so i'll get one of my affirmations up i've got i've got a few lists but um one thing one mistake i think people do is that they can sometimes um do too many so okay here, here we are so here's one i have i have power over every problem they shift at my command so that's one of my affirmations. So I have power over every problem. They shift at my command. So I, so first person, I have, I have now, not oh, I will, I want to have power over every problem. You don't project it into the future. You say it now. I have power over every problem. And power is a very um, emotive word. Try and use words that create emotion so i have so i present i personal have now power over every problem they shifted my command so i've used emotion i've used it's a it's a um, per, first person it's present tense and it's a positive statement so um you state what you have. So, you know, it can be, um, what's another one? <laughs> Letting the cat out of the bag here, aren't I? So, I am a phenomenal, accomplished international speaker. So that's one of my, my affirmations. So, I am, not I will be, or I want to be, or I could be, but I am a phenomenal, so again, a motive word, using a motive word, um, accomplished international speaker. So that's uh, an affirmation. So you write these affirmations out and then you repeat them morning and at least twice a day, preferably 10 times a day. If you've got the time and opportunity some people i know set their set the timer on their phone to go off every hour which reminds them get out my affirmations go through my affirmations preferably you can say them in your head but preferably say them aloud because the spoken word has more impact on your subconscious and then then you and this is where visualization comes in after saying that okay so say if i say um I am a phenomenal, accomplished international speaker. 
then I see myself, I pause and I use my imagination and I see myself sitting on it, standing on an international stage, speaking to a large audience. And I see myself speaking boldly, you know, um, with, with great zest and enthusiasm. And I'm seeing myself being that affirmation. Now, what does that do? Your subconscious mind does not know the difference between something real and something vividly imagined. It treats the vividly imagined scene as reality. So it's now seeing you being the international speaker. Okay, then you come back to reality. Oh, I haven't done that yet. You know, what that does, when you have reality, but then you paint this vivid picture and you keep doing it, you create a tension in your subconscious. It's faced with, oh, oh this is the reality. Oh, no, it's not. It's, it's this. They, the psychologists call that cognitive dissonance. Is the discomfort the discomfort that grows in you between reality and this imagined future. Eventually that, that discomfort becomes so strong that your subconscious has to bring it into reality. Well, it'll do one of two things. It'll make you so uncomfortable that it'll bring you back to the reality. Oh, no. The poor man who loses his money. Oh, I'm back. I'm comfortable now. Phew. I'm comfortable because I'm back being you know, who I think I am. Or it provides the driving energy to become the new person. The choice is up to you. Will you give in to the old and surrender to the old picture? Or will you keep painting the new picture of yourself such that your subconscious will actually drive you there? And you will see all the situations and opportunities that will take you to that new place. That's what the subconscious will do for you. It will become your servant. Or it will become your master. It's your choice. But by the power of your emotive affirmations and your strong visualizations, you can create the future you want and then provide the drive and energy to achieve it. That's the power of the psychology of affirmations and visualizations. Great, great, great advice, Greg. Really, really, really. And, and, and the explanation, I think it's very vivid. You can visualize, you know, that under, it's quite easy to understand. And I, I love it. I love your idea. Now I like to ask to my guests, do you believe in having, I already have an idea, in having a purpose in your life? I do. 
but I think there's a bit of a there's a, a miss it's a bit misconstrued out there I think you know we, we all have purpose even where we are I mean you know I've, I've got a job I, I, I've got work that I do and that is my purpose for that day you know if you're if you're a father you have a purpose when you get up in the morning part of your purpose is to be a father to those children um if you're if you're a partner to someone part of your purpose is to be the partner to that person that significant other in your life part of your purpose is that you are a, a brother or a sister you might be a grandchild, you might be a, a grandparent. That is part of your purpose. Life, things happen in your life that already plan out some of the purpose of your life. Now, can you choose a purpose? Yes, you can. I'll just use this example because it stay with me here. I heard um, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi say once he was being interviewed by an American female journalist who was quizzing him on the Indian practice of arranged marriages. And she was having a bit of a go at him and saying, you know, what do you think about this, you know, these arranged marriages, you know, in Indian culture? And he said, oh, yes, he said. He said, you in the West, you marry the one you love. In the East, we love the one we marry. And I thought, what a great answer. <laughs> and in a sense... Our life, people can go around, oh, I'm waiting for my purpose to come, you know. And I think it was, um, I heard uh, Seth um, Godin say this. He said, he said, yes, you can, you can find You can find the job you love or you can love the job you're in. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an attitude change that can happen because when we, if we're looking always out there, our purpose is coming. I've got to look to the universe to find my purpose. We, we may miss what is actually being revealed on a daily basis. And we may find when we invest in the work we're doing, we find a greater purpose reveals itself. It's interesting to me that sometimes a high, maybe a higher purpose is revealed in life, but you know where it often comes? It comes from suffering. It comes from pain. There's a cricketer. Um, I know probably in the, uh, <laughs> in Germany and in um, Portugal, 
you're probably not into cricket. But, oh, you know, not that often. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, cricket is a big sport here in Australia. Yeah. We love our cricket. There's a famous cricketer here who lost his wife to breast cancer. And it was very sad. And um, his name is Glenn McGrath. And in honour of his wife, even before she died, when she was going through the chemotherapy and the radiotherapy and the, and the surgery and that for her breast cancer, he started up a charity raising money for uh, research into breast cancer. And after she died, he continued that on. And now here, it's massive here in Australia. They've raised huge amounts of money um, to help with breast cancer and um, to deal with breast cancer and breast cancer research. And he's devoted a big part of his life to that. And he's found a very powerful purpose in that. But it came out of the pain of losing his wife. I know that we have, um, there's a couple of women here, mothers who lost both their daughters to bullying. Their daughters suicided because of bullying at school and online. And they started up a foundation to address bullying in schools. It's now very big and they have programs now that are run through schools throughout Australia to stop bullying or to, you know, to understand the mechanics. And that purpose, which has been extraordinary, came out of the painful experience that they had. Or even giving yourself, you know, a number of experiences. Um, there's, in one of my talks, I talk about, forgive me, I can't remember his name now, but he was, um, he was a sailor and he went on one of those, you know, big races, race around the world where they, they sailed right, right around the world. And he was on one of those big maxi yachts and he was astounded at the pollution in the ocean when they were sailing around the world and wanted to do something about that. And when he came back to Australia and so he, he, started a day where they would clean up Sydney Harbour, just the harbour in Sydney. And so they had this massive day and he just asked for people to come out and, and help volunteer to, to pick up the plastic and the debris that was around the shoreline and, of the, and, uh, and sail around and boat around the harbour and pick up the debris. And, and it was a massive success, you know, like thousands of people turned out to do this. And the next year they decided, he decided to do it for Sydney, the whole town of Sydney, big, you know, a big city. And thousands, tens of thousands of people, thousands of people turned out to do this. The next year they made it the country. They had this massive cleanup, cleanup Australia. A hundred thousand people turned out Australia wide to do this big cleanup. Anyway, it's gone worldwide now this clean up the world thing and they've got things where they're cleaning up the oceans and their countries do this you know and so out of this 
out of his hobby, really, his sport, he saw something that he thought he could do some small part to help. And now it's become this worldwide thing. Now, he didn't know it was going to take off and go worldwide. He just did his little bit. But in that, he found a higher purpose and it took off. But it grew out of what he was already doing. So sometimes, you know, people can think that they have, oh, I'm going to sit down and meditate under the apple tree and, and wait for the universe to tell me what my higher purpose is. No. Get out, one, do the things you're already doing. Try and do them as well as you can and do them better. And then do more stuff. And along the way, things will be revealed. You will see some part that you can play in making the world a better place. And that's how I think purpose comes into people's lives. Um, does that make sense? Man, love it, Craig, love it. Each answer, it's like a drop of knowledge, really, and wisdom, it's, well, it's amazing. All the content that you are giving to me and for the viewers and listeners a lot. And it comes... So if you have, if you can say that you have a purpose or a higher purpose, uh, which is yours? Ah, <laughs> mine. I, my desire is to let people know that they are not stuck where they are, that their lives can be different and that they have power and influence over that difference, that they are not at the mercy of the fates or the government or their culture or their circumstances, that all significant, important, and powerful change starts first on the inside and then works its way out. And we can change the outside by changing the inside. And that every human being has the potential and the power to do that with their life. That's my message. Totally and particularly for those who, you know, like me, who maybe came from a background where they, their sense of self-worth, their self-image is poor, um, that, that even that is no obstacle to having the life of their dreams. Beautiful, man. Really, really beautiful. And thanks, Fesco. It's, it's, I love it. And I think that you talk a lot about mindset. How do you describe your mindset? <laughs> the first thing I'd say is when we say mindset, it's almost interesting. It's like, we, we, we set concrete, don't we? And when we set concrete, that's it. It's solid. It's, 
it's immovable. It's uh, so but mindset is not like that. Mindset is actually malleable. It's really interesting when I was um, a student, <laughs> when we did, when I did that neurology that I was talking about neuroscience, we were taught that you, you, you were born with your trillion brain cells in neurons and that the pathways that are going to be formed are all formed by the age of three. And after that, it's all downhill. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to lose cell, you're going to lose brain cells. You don't get them back. Um, and so it's all done and dusted by the age of three, basically. So we know now the neuroscience is telling us that's rubbish. We in fact, never lose the ability to produce new brain cells and to make new connections in our brain. And then our brain cells are actually constantly looking for connection, new connections. So our brains are what they call plastic. That is they're moldable and malleable. And sure, as we get older, they're not as malleable as when we were younger. But we again, we never lose the ability to produce new brain cells and make new connections. So don't be discouraged by where you're at at the moment. Your brain has the power and potential to grow and to develop and to be more and to become more. That's the exciting thing. So the mind is not set. The mind is changeable, malleable, and it's in fact, um, you can make it, you can be the puppeteer, you know, doing the puppet. Like, and our subconscious tends to be our puppeteer, it tends to control everything that's going on. But we now have the power and potential to control the puppeteer. And that's good news. <laughs> And that's where the power lies. Exactly. You have the tools to work it on. Like, exactly. Yep. It's, it's, for me, I will say that it's like going to the gym. It's a muscle that you have to work it every day. Like you were saying, like, uh, I want to, I like to also to know a little bit about routines that you already uh, told about the affirmations that you do every morning and uh, with the visualizations every morning and every night some habits and some daily routines that you have? Sure. Um, first thing I do when I get up in the morning is I meditate for at least 20 minutes. Meditation, prayer, call it what you like. Um, it, it, that, that will often actually go to about half an hour. Uh, then I like to exercise. So I either I either do some Tabata workout or I go for a run um, and I do some weights. And that will take me half to three quarters of an hour. Then I like to, um, I'll, I'll always watch something inspiring, um, like a, a YouTube video or, or, or I will read one of my many books that I'll, <laughs> I'll be going through at that point in time. Um, and then often something will come up in that what I'm watching or what I'm 
I'm reading that will trigger some thoughts in my mind and I will write. So in fact, so every, every, every day I will write something. Um, and often that writing will form a basis of what I will then do later as a post on Instagram. Um, so, yeah, meditation, exercise, read or watch something inspiring, write something straight away that, I'm, that has inspired me, um, and then I'll get about my day. Now, my day at the moment is that my mornings are mostly left to do that sort of thing. So then I'll, I'll obviously um, have breakfast and, and um, do my ablutions. And then often I will do my post, my Instagram post. And then I may also put some stuff on Facebook and blah, blah, blah. Um, at the moment, I'm working on some, um, a webinar that I'm going to do uh, shortly um, covering this, this actually this sort of material. Um, so I've been getting my slides down for that. And then in the afternoon, I go to my practice and I literally work treating patients for about five hours a day. So I do about 30 hours of physiotherapy work. Then I would come home. Um, most days I don't have an evening meal. I'm, a, I, in, I'm heavily into fasting. So um, intermittent fasting. So I, four to five days a week, I would just have one meal a day and usually that's breakfast. Um, so when I come home, again, I will either, I'll sit down with my wife and we'll talk about our day. Uh, uh, then I will often watch something inspiring. Um, I did that tonight. Um, and then I'll, and also entertainment. So Anne and I might watch a bit of TV for entertainment. Then about nine o'clock, I start getting ready for bed. I like sleep. And I know from, you know, the, again, the research is very clear that if you, if you want your brain to stay healthy and you want your life to stay balanced, then get a good night's sleep. So I try to be in bed by 10 and I'm up by six. So I get eight hours of sleep. But my preparation before I go to bed is that I will um, turn off my screens. So phones, computers, I'm talking to you tonight, but um, get, rid of the, get rid of the screens and read for about 20 minutes because that puts your brainwaves into an alpha brainwave state, which is much more conducive to sleep. Um, I will then, uh, I've, I've got a gratitude diary, so I will write, I do three things in my, in my, my list actually. I do, uh, and this is partly building my self image, but I do, I write three things that I have accomplished that day. That I feel that I set my, I set my, my day to do, my to-do list if you like, but three things that I'm proud of that I accomplished that day. Then I'll do three things where I added value to someone else's life. Now, it might have been I did the dishes for my wife or I, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, helped, 
I particularly helped a patient at work or I, I spoke to a, a lonely person or, you know, I did something like that. Three things where I felt I added value to someone's life and then three to five things that I am grateful for either that happened in my day or just happened in my life. So I do my gratitude practice then as well. So that's after my, my reading. Then it's getting usually pretty close to, to bed. So then I like to do, that's when it's a great time to do my affirmations and my visualizations. So by this time, I'm usually lying in bed because if your affirmations have the best impact on your subconscious. If your brain is in that alpha brainwave state, which is kind of the brainwave state between wakefulness and drifting off to sleep, it's kind of that interim period. That's when your filter is at its least effective. So when you say your affirmations, they have their most their strongest impact on your subconscious. So when you're trying to sell your subconscious on the new picture of you, that's often the most powerful time to do it. So I try to do my affirmations, say my affirmations when I'm in that kind of drifting off drowsy almost state. And again, I use the say the affirmation, then visualize see yourself being that person and then i'll close my book up and then i'll hopefully drift off to sleep i do use um so i do some breath work so um some of the uh relaxation breath work which is start might start with a count of six in breath in six breath out do that a few times and there's another method um, which a neuroscientist taught me um, what's his name Edelman um, there's a direct link between from your diaphragm to your brain so if you take a deep breath in and then before you let that breath out another diaphragmatic breath like a deep low tummy breath which is when your diaphragm is working and then blow it out through pursed lips long exhale it drops you down into a very relaxed state if you do that a few times so i will do that before i drift off to sleep hopefully love it love it love it and it's it's a full day it's such a full day. How do you manage yes, your time? How do you manage your time? Um, I always, oh, which I didn't mention, and I should have, is that before I do my affirmations in the evening, I, I, I do, um, we call it forethought. I preview in my mind the day to come just five or 10 minutes, I close my eyes and literally I see my day unfolding as I want it to unfold. Being the person that I want to be, doing the things that I want to do. I see my best day, if you like. 
And it's amazing how when you do that, when you pre-plan your day, how often it comes to pass <laughs> in, you know, maybe not everything, but in large part, it, it kind of flows as you've imagined it will. So it's a very powerful thing. You know, people talk about quantum physics and I'm really into quantum understanding our universe in, in a, a quantum physics and quantum mechanics kind of way. And I do, whether it, again, it's, you know, woo-woo, I don't know, but it's, it's strange how it is when you imagine, when you spend the effort to imagine something happening as you want it to happen. It doesn't happen all the time, but it seems to weight it in your favour. It's, I'll do it when I'm going to go somewhere to find a car, in a car park. You know, if I'm going to, into the city and I, I want a car park near where I'm going to be, I imagine myself finding a car park near or at the place I want to go to. And you know what? I would say 80%, 90% of the time, that's exactly what happens. Somehow, you know, you, we can, we have the power to preset our life. So again, use your imagination, use the power of visualization to see your day before it happens unfolding as you wish it to happen. How do we get onto that? <laughs> I know, no, but it's, it's, it's just, yeah. See, have idea of, of the movie or, or the, that you want to do in the next day, you know, you are the, the, the actor, mm. try to visualize yeah. how, how do you want the movie to go? I will, I will describe exactly. it like yeah. that. I think, I think uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza calls it a mind movie. Exactly that. Really? Yeah. Nice. You make, yeah, you cre create your mind movie. Yeah, it's true. Amazing how often it works. I think it's a great idea. And also for the ones, you touch in a subject that I also like, for the ones that don't know nothing about fasting. What is fasting? Well, we're getting onto it. <laughs> one of my pet. Everywhere. It is. Um, and look, I've done it for about, I've done it seriously, probably for about the last five or six years. Um, I do it. I did it initially to lose some weight. Okay. I read the Michael Mosley book, uh, Dr. Michael Mosley, who wrote the five and two um, diet book. Um, great book. If, if you're starting, if you're interested in fasting, um, it's a great book to start with because it's not a, a difficult way to do it or an erroneous way to do it or a difficult way to do it. Um, it's about, What we've discovered with fasting is that the human body was probably never designed to have three meals a day and to be able to constantly snack. When we were tribesmen running around on the African savannah, we, we might you know, kill an antelope and we might feast for a couple of days. 
but then we might not kill an antelope for a week <laughs> and we might be you know if we're lucky we might be eating a few yams or um some berries off the tree or some some nuts we find on the ground so our bodies are used to feast fast feast fast feast fast and it seems like our metabolisms operate best when we have periods where we don't eat or we eat minimally. So much so that they've discovered that if we fast, we reduce our risk of, of several different types of cancers, particularly the most um, prevalent cancers like breast cancer, prostate cancer, bowel cancer. We reduce our risk of diabetes, particularly diabetes type 2 mm. and associated conditions like metabolic syndrome. We seem to reduce our risk of dementia, Alzheimer's and other forms of, of brain decay. It's virtually the only thing that is proven to improve longevity. In fact, so increase lifespan. It has, it's obviously a great weight loss thing. It can, can really ramp up your control of, of weight. Um, so for that and multiple other reasons, it improves cognitive function. So not only does it reduce your risk of Alzheimer's and dementia, but it improves cognitive, improves brain function just normally. Um, particularly when you start running on ketone bodies, which is a part of the process that, that fasting leads to. Um, so for all these reasons, that's why I fast. I initially did it five and two. And what that means is five days of normal eating, two days in your week where you fast, relatively speaking. So for men, that's keeping your input for the day under 600 calories. For women, under 500 calories. And uh, there's, a, there's a recipe book that goes with that if, you, if you're interested to, so that you get the meals right in terms of the number of calories. Mm -hmm. And I lost about 10 kilos just doing that five and two over about a year and felt better for it better energy and my health improved. Then I kind of plateaued and I wanted, and I was reading more about the other health benefits. So I wanted to take it to another level, particularly as I'm getting older. I want to keep my brain intact so that I can do this work for the next 30 years. Um, so I read uh, a book called The Complete Book of Fasting by Dr. Um, Jason Fung. F-U-N-G, he's a nephrologist, a kidney specialist, a US kidney specialist. He, he wrote another book called The Obesity Factor, which is also a great read in terms of the science of what we know now about weight loss and, and uh, so on. Um, and it was in his book that I started reading his book that I started to explore longer periods of fasting so, uh, as I said, about four days a week now, uh, I would have just one meal a day. The other days, um, 
I'll have like a Sunday where I, I don't bother. I just treat it like a, a normal day and eat anything, drink anything. Um, on a Saturday, I'll tend to do a 16 and 8 where I miss breakfast, but I'll eat between a 1 o'clock and 9 o'clock window. That's another way of fasting. They call it, it's called the 16 and 8 diet. So you can look that up. Um, and so I would do that virtually every week, but then about every three months, I would have a three day fast where I just drink water, have tea or, or black coffee um, for three days, no food. And then about once a year, I would do a, a five, six or seven day fast. And that really kicks in uh, with the, some powerful, um, healthy things that your body does. Your body kind of renews itself. Mm. There are a couple of processes that I won't go into. One's called autophagy and one's called apoptosis that get fired up by fasting, particularly longer versions of fasting, three to five to seven days. And when you, when you do that, you, your body likes goes, goes through a renewal process. Very good for your skin, very good for, um, it speeds up your body's replacing itself. You know, mm -hmm. cell, cell replacement occurs quicker and, and better and it gets rid of old cells, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so I would do that. Now, I worked into that over a number of years. I didn't just go cold turkey. Although Jason Fung's patients do, because often they're obese and he forces, he basically puts them in the clinic and they go cold turkey, no eating, um, and, but with fantastic results. But I, I grew into it and I, I, I tested myself. I, it's like exercise. I didn't, you know, you don't start off running a marathon. You know, okay. you walk down, you walk down the street a hundred meters and come back. You know, that's that's how you start. And then you just you challenge yourself more and more and more. And, and so that's why how I do that now. But yeah, I've 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 probably enjoying. In fact, I've just had a colonoscopy. I've just had a whole just had a whole set of bloods done. Um, and look, I'm 61. I'm not on any medication. Uh, I, my colonoscopy was clear of, of any cancer. My, um, my bloods all came back really great. You know, my cholesterol levels, my blood sugar, all that's good. You know, this, so it's all good at the moment. <laughs> so, and I intend to pursue that level of health for the rest of my adult life. So, so fasting is a great way to improve your health on a, on a number of levels, particularly if you've got weight issues to be able to use fasting to control weight is really great. Um, I will say that Michael Mosley has, an, well, it's not new now, but the, it's called the 800 fast, which is a different way of fasting as well. Um, that book is, is worth a read because he's mm. kind of um, modified the five and two. Mm -hmm. um, and that people may find that easier to, to uh, start with. But anyway, but there's lots of books out there now which talk about the, the good science behind this. This isn't, you know, this isn't just hoo-ha. This is... Uh, um, it's very powerful stuff. And it's interesting, every spiritual tradition hmm. in the world has some 
degree of fasting attached to it. And, the, and so the, the benefits of fasting physically and spiritually have been known for thousands of years. The Greeks, the ancient Greeks practiced it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not new. It's just that the science has caught up with all the benefits of it. So, yeah, no, that's great. Oh, I love it. And really, really love it. And after I think it's nice because with the exams that you did a couple of days ago, it comes with the scientific part that helps, you know, that gives some, okay, it's not. Oh, yes, definitely. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's not just, oh, I feel better. No, actually, all my, all the tests are showing that things are going really well. <laughs> no, exactly. And if you do it for six years, it's something that it's with consistency. Exactly. It's cumulative. Yep. Uh, you were talking about books. Uh, can you advise me some of the books, uh, not only for fasting, but with this conversation that you think that me and the listeners and the viewers will like to read? Yep, sure. Um, oh, gee, so many. What would be my favorites? Um, well, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill was, was one that I started with and I've re reread about half a dozen times. Um, and it's, something, it's a really interesting book because you get something different from it every time you read it. It's really, really interesting. And there's some, there's some updated review, you know, um, modern versions of it, mm -hmm. which are well worth chasing up. Um, the Power of Positive Thinking, which I do love, is probably a little bit... Um, might be a little bit antiquated for some people it's a, and it's a very uh it's quite a religious book mm. it's a Christ, christian book so he takes it from that perspective and some people might be comfortable with that some might find that more difficult um from a more modern perspective oh look you can't go past dale carnegie's how to win friends and influence people if you just want to learn how to relate to that's still a classic and it's still a brilliant book um from the more modern perspective um the one thing by um the guy keller okay great way great way to um look at focus in your life how to um Plan your life, focus on the things that are important, how to get the most out of your day and your life. Uh, things like, books like, um, Jocko Willink wrote a great book called, um, oh, in fact, hang on. I'm back. <laughs> so this is, I, I've heard um, Jocko Willink speak at a conference that I was at in New Zealand. Right, he's, an, he's a US Navy SEAL, um, retired, but he wrote the book called Extreme Ownership. Um, great book. Uh, it teaches you, you know, your life really is your personal responsibility. Um, if you want a book that I think is great from the, in terms of practical steps to get mindset under control, John yes. Asaraf, it's called Inner Size. Mm -hmm. um, 
I've got a lot out of John Asperger's stuff. He's great. Okay. Um, there is, oh, there's Gary Keller. There's the one thing. Mm. Um, great book. Um, Brendan Burchard. I read this. I really loved it. Um, High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard. Um, hopefully you can see that title. And, and again, this one I put on the same uh, in terms of learning about how your subconscious works and how your mind works and how to bring it back under control. Um, I put on the same sort of um, with the inner size book from John Asareth, and that's Dr. Joe Dispenza, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. <laughs> I love the title. Yeah, breaking the habit of being yourself, um, which is exactly what we're talking about, you know, getting out of that old picture of yourself. So um, that should give your readers something to go on with anyway. They're all, they're all great reads, got a lot out of them. Yeah, I think we are already, uh, and I know, no, with the fasting, I think we have a books for one year if you read a, a book per month. So I think it's a, a quite a nice list. Yeah. Now, Craig, I want to ask you, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? <laughs> yeah. I, I want people, I think I said it before, really, the legacy I want to leave behind is freeing people from the shackles of their old self-image and to empower them to change the way they think about themselves so they make possible the future that they want. If I can, I can leave one person in that place, I'll be happy. But if I can leave thousands with that new mindset, then I, I would be happy. So that's my legacy. I want to take people from, you know, the, the poverty of their past to a rich future and from the pain of people's past to a future that holds possibility and potential. Love it. Love it. Love it. And it's, if you can, and exactly, if you can change, I totally agree with you. If you can change one soul, it's already mission accomplished. Um, I want to ask you advice to make the world a better place. Then I think, you can't, it's the old story, isn't it? You know, you can't change the world. The only thing you can change is yourself. But in changing yourself positively, you are changing the world. And the influence the ripples, as we spoke of earlier, that go out from you being the person, as Oprah Winfrey would say, the best version of yourself. If you're that, you've already changed the world. You've changed your world. And in changing your world, you will change the world. So begin with changing yourself. It always comes back to us to changing yourself. 
Any last thoughts or advice that you want to give me to me and to the listeners and viewers? <laughs> no, I think you've run me dry, mate. <laughs> I think it was the longest that I had until now. Almost three hours, oh, I think. Right? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> time, time goes fast quickly when you're having fun. <laughs> it was a man and the quantity of wisdom that you give and the way that you give the simplest But please, if you have any last thoughts or advice, I'm here. Uh, no, I think... Um, no. no, I think I'm done. <laughs> it, uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Um, I've got it up on my wall in front of me. That's why I'll, I'll say it. Because uh, James Allen, who was an American philosopher in the 19th century, The greatest achievement was at first and for a time a dream. The oak sleeps in the acorn. The bird waits in the egg. And in the highest vision of the soul, a waking angel stirs. Dreams are the seedlings of reality. So your dreams, all our dreams, they're the seedlings that we plant that can become our reality. So let's not let our dreams die. Let's plant them in soil that's going to bring them to life. Craig, thank you so much for the opportunity and for the wisdom that you have. It was a great pleasure to have you here. I will put your Instagram after in the description of the video and the audio. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Thank you so much and have a great life and a great day. Thank you so much, Vasco. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, I, you know, I pray that uh, you and your family and your country and and Europe will uh, be quickly over this COVID problem and that we can all get back to living the life that we, a life of freedom and a life of, of that's rich in blessing and we can live our desires and dreams out. So God bless you and God bless your family and God bless Europe. Thank you so much. Same love to Australia and to you in special. Okay, Craig. Thank you so much. Thanks, mate.